So just now I was feeling very unholy. I saw everybody else's head bowed. Then I realized you're just looking at your phones. <laughs> Some people have the Bible on their phones. So, hey, you baited with 10 seconds to spare. <laughs> of course. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, we we thank you that while we were your enemies, you gave us your very own son and he died for us. And we thank you, Father, that you have established the principle of grace from start to finish, such that we don't have to do any work to have eternal life. We simply need to believe in Jesus Christ. Your son died for our sins and was raised from the dead by you. Father, this morning we also would ask that the Holy Spirit would help us, guide us, as we continue to to learn and hear about what is in your word in the Gospel of John. Help us to understand, Father, exactly what Jesus Christ was communicating in, in Jerusalem and in Galilee We ask also, Father, for the grace to be able to understand how these principles apply to us personally so that we may apply them and we live as your children as you've made us. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning again, everybody. Um, Next Sunday is the first Sunday of March, so we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of service next Sunday, um, March 5th, I believe it is. Also, on a personal note, I'd like to thank everybody all of you, um, for your prayers and your cards and your well wishes concerning the death of my mom. Appreciate that very much. It means a lot to me at this time. So thank you for that. Okay, let's begin. Our uh, title of today's message is from our passage today, and it's You Are of Your Father the Devil. I'm not speaking to you when I say that. This is a quotation that Jesus spoke to his enemies when they were trying to make, make them to be Um, superior to everybody else. And we'll see exactly how that shifted in our passage today. I'd like you to turn now to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we'll begin today in verse 37. John 8, 37. John 8, 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. 
But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Today in our passage, Jesus is confronting the unbelievers in his audience. Remember, when we started in verse 30, 31, he was addressing believers, that those who had believed in him, and he told them to continue in his word. Today, he tells this, this group in his audience that they, his word is not even in them. They want to kill him. So this is a very different group than we started with in chapter 8, verse 30. Here we have his enemies. Here we have unbelievers. Here we have what, what John calls the Jews. And we have to understand he's not talking about the Jewish people as a whole. He's not talking about everyone in the nation of Israel. He uses that term, as I've mentioned before, in a very specific, unique way to speak of those people, particularly in Jerusalem, who were the enemies of Christ, unbelievers, and sought to kill him and persecute him. When he does this today in our passage, and you've already heard it, when he confronts them, he does it with stunning accuracy and boldness. And so that there's no misrepresenting his point. There's no, for anybody who has ears to hear anyway, you know exactly what he's saying and why he's saying it. As a matter of fact, in this passage, he just takes he understands that he's dealing with unbelievers. By the way, he also understands that they're going to reject what he says. But in any event, to give them every possible opportunity, he walks through it little steps at a time. So they have an opportunity to absorb and reflect on exactly what they're doing and what they're saying and who he is. We'll see that. Now, from where we start today in verse 37, all the way to the end of chapter 8, verse 59. So from that's today, all the way... Well, verse 37, all the way to the end of this chapter in chapter eight, Jesus is only addressing his adversaries. He's not talking to believers anymore at all. And you'll see that it's pretty, pretty obvious when he's talking about it. I mean, today, when he says you want to kill me and you're your father, the devil, um, we realize he's not talking about the children of God. So and that'll be true for the rest of this chapter. Again, these people, his adversaries are who John calls the Jews. They wanted to put Jesus to death. Now, there were. Look, everybody who believed in Jesus at this time, with the exception of the Samaritans and some of the Greeks, but everybody within the confines of the nation of Israel were Jewish. So, so he was not indicting the Jewish people when he says the Jews. It's so important that you understand that. Peter was Jewish. 
Thomas was Jewish, James, John, you know, the the the, um, the woman caught in adultery and on and on and on. I mean, the, the, his believing people that his disciples that followed him particularly were Jewish. So that's not the Jewish people as a whole. It's a targeted group. They're the enemies of Christ. They're primarily in the leadership and those who follow blindly the leadership, the high priests and the Pharisees and so forth. Those are what John calls the Jews. And again, you can understand who they are because they're the people that wanted to put Jesus to death. These adversaries first showed up in chapter five after Jesus had uh, had, had healed the, the lame man and he was allowed to walk. And then they 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 accused Jesus of sin, of breaking the law because he healed on the Sabbath. And then when he followed up with and I said, you know, I'm working till now because my father's working. They realized even then they realized he was saying God was his father. And they wanted to kill him even then for those two things, for doing a healing on the Sabbath and claiming to be God's son. And from then on, ever since they've had an opportunity, they've been persecuting him. Now, primarily because they're from Jerusalem, it's primarily in Jerusalem itself where we see the persecution coming out. Okay, every time they have an opportunity and we'll see that continue. We're going to see that all the way, actually, through chapter 19 when he's actually put on the cross. That's the that's the ultimate expression of their hatred for him, because finally they did put him to death, which they've been wanting to do all the way since chapter five. Now, I want you to notice in verse 37 that he talks about Abraham's descendants. Jesus is talking now again to his enemies who are Jewish. They had claimed Abraham. As a matter of fact, they saw um, that they were they relying for their for their deliverance, for their salvation, for their relationship with God on the fact that they were the physical descendants from Abraham, their physical descent. In other words, their gene pool. If you think, if you, you know, if you understand, if you see what happens in the book of Genesis, when you have Abraham and then he has, he has Isaac as a child, by the way, he also has Ishmael. And then you see J, Isaac has Jacob as a son. By the way, he also has Esau. See, from the very beginning, not all who is of Abraham are Abraham's children. Okay, so that principle they should have realized all the way back in the book of Genesis. Nevertheless, they were relying on the fact that they were the physical descendants of Abraham for their relationship with God. But in our passage today, Jesus acknowledges, yes, you are the physical descendants of Abraham. That's why he says in verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants physically. But what they weren't were the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And because they weren't that, Jesus will go on to deny any of their spiritual kinship with God. He will deny that they are God's children. Not only that, but he will then reveal who their real spiritual father is, the devil. In fact, the spiritual father of all unbelievers is the devil. Let me say that again. The spiritual father of all unbelievers is the devil. That's an unsettling statement. I'm sure there are people in your lives. I know there are people in your lives who are unbelievers. This doesn't mean that they're, you know, possessed by the devil. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that they live their lives according to the things that the devil wants in the human race. We know what those things are um, primarily because of the world we live in. You know, Satan is the God of this world. 
So those who are living according to the lust of this world, the desires of this world, are living according to the ways of the devil. By the way, we all were at one time. Every one of us. I mean, I mean, I don't know anybody who is a Christian believing in Christ from birth. It's impossible, actually. Okay, you can't believe until you're old enough to understand the message. So we all started out life as the enemies of God. We were we were all living according to we were walking in the ways of the devil. So I say that so that you don't feel like this is some special problem that only relates to a few really evil people. It relates to every unbeliever until, of course, they believe in Jesus Christ and then they get adopted by God. I'd like you to turn now to the letter of 1 John, chapter 3, written by the same author as the Gospel of John, later. In large, large respect, the letters of John are a reflection and look back on what John documented in the Gospel. Only in the letters he is now turning and he's speaking to believers based on what the things Jesus said and did in the Gospel of John. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, and explaining what's, what's true about the Christian's relationships and life now. And so and we'll see that we continue to face the same issue only in terms of belief and unbelief in Christ. Only now as believers, we, we, are, we, we look at the night and day difference between us as children of God and the unbeliever as children of the devil. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children. That is John's um, name for new believers. Okay, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as the Lord is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. When it says practices righteousness, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. Well, what it does mean is that they, they have, because they have the spirit indwelling them and because they have, they have the word of God and because they have been born again, their life is more, is patterned, life is primarily lived according to the principles of the Lord, according to what God has said in his word. In the same way, the one who practices sin, okay, that goes way beyond somebody who commits an occasional sin. Because if, because if it didn't, then all of us would be in that category because we continue to sin. But though no, this is the one who, who, who has adopted sin as their way of living. And by the way, they can't do anything else because they're, as the book of Ephesians tells us, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. That's all they're capable really of doing. Now, you might say, I know good people who are not believers. Well, you better check the word good. But I know what you're saying. You're saying that they seem like nice people. They do good things. But at the root of it all, and this is where, you know, the Lord looks at the heart. At the root of it all, all their motivations are worldly, fleshly, even when they're doing good things. Um, I'm not going to make too many friends by telling you what the Lord, how the Lord thinks and what he says. But that's what I do. I tell you that. So the unbelievers in your life, okay, they are practicing sin. Because they don't have, they're not, well, we'll see. They're not children of God. Again, little children, make sure no one deceives you. Notice deception is the element. Satan accomplishes what he wants to accomplish through lies. No one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as the Lord is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. 
But the devil has sinned from the beginning. John, in our passage today, says that that the devil is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Well, lying and murder are are sins, and they, they are sins that attack the basic principles of the Ten Commandments, okay, and the overall principle of love one another, right? If you're lying to somebody, that's the opposite of love. If you're obviously, if you're murdering, that's that's the opposite of love. That's hatred. Yeah. All right. Again, so the one who practices sin, verse eight, is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. We're going to see more of that. The Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. His purpose is clearly, first and foremost, to die for the sins of the world and be raised from the dead by his father, such that he would be dying um, for all sins, all mankind. So he is our savior. And in so doing, at the cross, he destroys the works of the devil. But that but that destruction even goes beyond the guilt of our sins and and having them forgiven. It also goes to everything about this world. Jesus Christ is in the process of reconciling all things to himself. And so that's his purpose. Notice what it says again. The son of God appeared for this purpose. What purpose? To destroy the works of the devil. All of them. No one who is born of God practices sin. There's that expression again. Doesn't mean we don't commit sins. It means it's not our higher, our entire walk, our entire life is not dominated by sin. It can't be. You know, in the book of Romans, chapter six, it says we've died to sin. It will not be master over us. That's what Romans six says. So this can't mean believers. It's talking about unbelievers. No one who was born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. We're born of God and he cannot sin as a practice. And this actually particularly talks about the fact that the new man, see, when we're born again, we, we are we are created into the new man. That new man cannot sin. It, it cannot sin because it is after the image and likeness of Christ. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Not that he can never commit sins. But he, can, he cannot, his life cannot be completely dominated by the desires of the flesh and the desires of Satan. He's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Notice there's only two kinds of children among the human race. There's no middle ground. There's no just nice people who don't believe in Christ. You're one or the other. You're either a child of God, a believer in Christ, or you're a child of the devil. Again, it doesn't mean you're possessed by the devil. It doesn't mean you're going around killing everybody. But at your root, at your root motivations come out of the thinking of Satan. Come out of, as it, as it says, the desires of Satan. What's his desire? His big desire, by the way, isn't just murder in the sense of killing other people. It's actually murdering the human race. And in particular, destroying their any relationship with God that we have. Okay, so 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 that his root motivation is really rejection of God and selfishness. I want you to think of it that way, rejecting God and all about me, because when you put it that way, you start to understand what it means by practicing sin, what it means to be a child of the devil. You live like he lives. You think like he thinks. Right. You don't want a relationship with God. 
And you're really at the root. You're all about yourself. In fact, if you do something good, your motivation ultimately is about yourself. I want to think I'm a good person or I want people to think I'm a good person. And that's your motivation. Now, you'd be shocked to tell these people that that's of the devil. But if it's selfish, if it's about them rather than about God, it can't help but be from the devil. So I want to break this down so you don't think this is just some kind of, you know, commentate, comment, commentation, comment, whatever, commentary, thank you, on, uh, you know, some of the movies that have been out there over the years. It's not. It's not. It goes get down to brass tacks. It's about selfishness and not wanting God in your life. Again, verse 10, by this, the children of God and the children of devil, there's only two kinds of human beings, are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. No other one who does not love his brother. By the way, this is the big um, addition, I could put it that way, the big focus, maybe a better way of putting it, of John. This is where John particularly takes and moves from what Jesus is talking about in chapter 8 here concerning what it means to be a child of God. And he, and he also applies it to the relationships between Christians or relationships between people. He's saying, listen, the way in which you can understand whether you're practicing righteousness, and this is a, this is a practical application, is whether or not you love the brethren. That is, that is the indicator of whether or not you're a child of God. I'm not saying that you that don't turn that around and sort of point out to somebody, well, he wasn't very nice to a Christian. He must not be a believer. That's none of our business. But it's clear in the Bible, in the New Testament, that there are characteristics of God's children, like father, like daughter. We are being made, remember, we are being uh, renovated, renewed in the image and likeness of Christ. That's not just a nice statement. That is actually the work that is going on inside every believer. Okay. Let's go back to our gospel passage. Have we seen this uh, this documentation or this uh, expression applying what we're reading today in the letter of First John? Now let's go back to the gospel of John. Our main passage today, John chapter 8, verses 37 to 38. John chapter 8, verses 37 to 38. We'll begin in verse 37 again. I know that you are able, this is Jesus speaking to his adversaries, the unbelievers, the Jews, as John calls them. But again, not the, not the Jewish race, the individuals and the leadership particularly who hate Jesus and want him dead. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, Jesus told them. Yeah, you seek to kill me. Because why do they seek to kill him? Notice. Because my word has no place in you. Does the word of God have any place in you this morning? When you think about that question, does the word of God have any place in you? Yes. You you can't be a Christian unless the word of God, the gospel, has place in you. That you've heard it and you believe it. And, And we're designed now to crave the word of God. So believers have the word of God in them. Now, some have a lot more than others, no doubt. But every Christian has at least some place in his heart where the word of God dwells. Again, Jesus acknowledges, yes, you are the physical descendants of Abraham. However, that by itself, being a physical descendant of Abraham, the genes of Abraham, 
does not make them children of God. And not any more than Esau was a child of God, any more than Ishmael was. Child of Abraham, yes. Child of God, no. In the, in the book of Galatians, the contrast is between those who are of flesh, those who have the promise. Again, two kinds of human nature. Those who are of the flesh, dominated by the flesh, those who are of the promise, the gospel. All right. So Jesus says, sure, you're the physical descendants of Abraham. I, I don't I don't doubt that, but that doesn't make you a child of God. Look at Romans chapter nine. As usual, you know, we'll go back to John eight. But now let's go to Romans chapter nine, verses six to eight. Romans nine, ten, eleven are about the nation of Israel. You might say, we're tired of hearing you say that, Pastor. You say that every time we go to Romans 9, 10, or 11. I know. The reason I do is because there are some, there's some blatant uh, statements about this section that they try to apply it to the Christian life when it's not about the Christian life. They, they say, well, the book of Romans is the classic fundamentals of being a Christian. Yes, it is. Particularly cha- chapters 1 through 8 and chapters 12 through 16. Nevertheless, because God's wisdom and glory are, are shown in the manner in which he, he deals with his chosen people, the Jews, the nation of Israel, Paul de- dedicates three chapters to that subject. How, he, how What happened in the past with the nation of Israel and their relationship to God? What was, what's happening now during the church age with respect to individual Jews? Because the nation is not, this is rejected Jesus, individual Jews and the Lord. And then in chapter 11, what's going to happen in the future? So in chapter 9, what are we looking at? The past. Let's read it. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, verse 6. And it is not as though the word of God has failed. But they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Israel, of course, is another name from Jacob. See, see the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and every Jew was a member of one of those tribes, they were definitely physically descended from Jacob. The 12 tribes were, were founded by the 12 sons of, a, of Jacob. So the same principle. They are not all Israel of the promise who are descended from Israel by the flesh. Verse 7. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. They're not children of God just because they're Abraham's descendants. That's exactly the point Jesus is making. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. In other words, when Abraham, when Abraham gave, was the, became the father of Ishmael, okay, his descendants, the promise of God that his, among his descendants would be the Messiah, that every nation in the world would be blessed by his seed, that didn't apply to the line of Ishmael. It was the line of Isaac. So again, through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That's what that means. Okay, that is known as it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God. That's the same principle. It is not the the physical. Don't look at your physical descent from anybody. Doesn't matter. It's not the, the the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as real descendants. What are the children of the promise? What does that mean? The gospel of is the message of the gospel is a promise. Right. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him, what's the next part? Shall not perish. That's a promise, right? That's the future. But have eternal life. Promise. In the same way, he promises that he has adopted us as his children. And one day we'll see the completion of that when we have our resurrection bodies. And, and, and you know, mind, heart, and body will all be renewed. That's a promise. So when it says children of the promise, this means children who believe the promises of God, particularly in the gospel. On the other hand, here we have Jesus, and he's addressing, speaking to, actually confronting the unbelievers in the crowd, the Jews who didn't believe in him and wanted to have him put to death. The, fact, the very fact that they didn't believe in Christ was, was proof that they were not the spiritual descendants of Abraham. All right? Their unbelief proved beyond a shadow of a doubt they were not the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Physical descendant, yes. Spiritual, no. I'd like you to turn to Galatians 3.7. Because Galatians 3.7 explains it transparently and simply. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. The unbelief of these Jewish, particularly leaders and those who followed them in, in Jerusalem, their unbelief, they do not believe in Christ. That proved that they were not the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Why? Galatians 3, 7. Therefore, be sure that is, it is those who are of the faith who are the sons of Abraham. Crystal clear. What, what determines whether or not you're a son of Abraham? Father Abraham, many sons, right? That's the child song, right? Right. So what, what determines that? Simple, faith. Faith in Christ. You can, you can be black, you can be white, you can be yellow, you can be from Egypt or China or South America or Europe from Ukraine or Russia or anywhere else. It doesn't matter. Simply, do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are the true child of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham believed. Abraham believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteous. That was his gospel. Abraham believed in the Lord. Believed in what? The promises of God. He, he heard God promise that his descendants would have their own land, that, that he would have descendants in the millions, and that they would one day be bless, a blessing to the whole world. That was a promise, and Abraham believed that. And he was declared righteous by God, a believer child of God. Okay, let's go back to John now, chapter 8, and we'll pick this up in verse 38. John 8, 38. I know that says 37, but we're moving on. John 8, 38. He just told them that the, the, his word has no place in them, that that they may be the physical descendants, they're not the spiritual descendants of Abraham. They actually seek to kill him. Let's pick things up in verse 38. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. What a statement. Here's Jesus Christ, okay? He's in a human body. He's human. And yet he's telling the Jewish people, listen, what I'm telling you are all things that I've seen with my father. He has been with his father. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And so he's been with the father forever and more than forever because it's beyond time. We can't even understand how long that's been because it's been an infinite time. They always were. Okay. He's seen the father. He has heard the words of the father. 
and he speaks only the things that he has heard and seen from the Father, from God. This is why it's fundamental to understand that, you know, Jesus never had any doubt who he was. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, a lot of times we try to make this into an argument and it's two people and Jesus over here and what he thinks and what the Jews think and they're trying to come together. Not at all. Jesus knows who he is and he always acts and speaks from who he is. There's no, he, he's, no, there's no doubt in his mind that he's God. And so he always speaks that way. And, and he's right and they're wrong. He's speaking the things which he has seen from his father. Now, how about them? How about the Jewish unbelievers? Therefore, notice the therefore. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Why do I say therefore? Because there's a connection. You, listen, you say, and the fact that I have spoken the things that I've seen and heard from God, and, and you don't hear me, you don't believe my word, then what does that mean? Well, I was, you, I was supposed to hear the word from, I did hear the word from God, Jesus said, I spoke it. You heard something else. You, you don't ever hear what I'm saying. You don't ever hear the word of God. You might say, well, they hear him speaking physically. His ears, their ears are hearing the words. But that's, of course, not what Jesus means when he's going to say that. He means, you know, you've never let that in. You never let that, you never believed it for one moment. So what instead they hear from their father and they do the things of their father. Now, one of the techniques that Jesus is using is to not identify the father, right? Their father right away. See, well, that's what we want to do. And I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. We just want to shake them and say what he says in verse 44. Your father's a devil. But he doesn't do that right away. He holds back. Why? Because he's leading them along so that when he gets to that point, They'll, they'll have no possible explanation other than that for their words, their behavior, and their attitudes. So in verse 38, what's Jesus, what Jesus is doing is he's now contrasting his father with their father. In other words, he's making things crystal clear. You know, Satan is a deceiver. He wants to muddy the waters. God, there's no confusion. He always makes things crystal clear. He's going to say, you guys are mixing things up with Abraham. and But here's what I want to tell you. I have my father. You have yours. Never the twain shall meet. I speak and do according to my father's will and word. You speak and you act according to your father's desires. And those are total opposites. Making things clear. All right. So again, Jesus speaks according to what he's seen. Notice scene from his father. The Jews don't hear him. The Jews is not all of Israel. It's the Jewish leadership and the unbelie other unbelievers, particularly in Jerusalem. They don't hear him. Why? How do we know that? His word's not in them. Not one word got inside their heart. That's what Jesus, when he says hearing, talking about with the heart, not with the ears. Not one word that he ever spoke got into the hearts of unbelievers. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? By the way, that would be true for all of us, but for the fact that we have been called by God, we have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and we and He's even given us the faith to believe. Think about that. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. They don't hear His word. Instead, they still they still have things in their heart, but those aren't coming from God. They're coming from their Father. They hear from their spiritual father, and then they act accordingly. 
And here's the principle. The nature of their actions, the fact that they act and speak according to the ways of the devil, meaning, we'll see in a moment, they want to kill him. That's the simple one. They want to kill him. They don't want to hear any of what, what God's word says. That's how they act. That reveals the nature and essence of their father, because that's how he is. He's, he wants to kill and murder, and he has nothing to do with God's word. Let's continue in verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. So he's saying, okay, so what you want to say is that I have my father's God and your father's Abraham. Think of the ridiculousness of that, by the way. Why? Because Abraham and God were together. Abraham's the friend of God. But they're trying to say, well, you know, you have your father and all, but we have Abraham. He's already dealt with that. Notice how he deals with it this time. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, I love it. If you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. If you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. What was the what was the classic deed of Abraham? God's will, his work that he wants every person to do first is to believe in his son. Abraham was a believer. Did they believe in his son? No. Are they doing the deeds of Abraham in that area? No. And we're going to see that they don't do the deeds of Abraham at all. At all. Did, did, did Abraham want to kill the son of God? No. Was, it, was Abraham willing to sacrifice his own son for the Lord? Yeah. yeah, that's the opposite of what the Jews want to do. You see it? They didn't do any of the deeds of Abraham. Notice again, verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. If, if you're a child, you do the deeds of the father. If you don't do the deeds of the father, you are not the child of the father. Verse 40. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me. A man. And notice he makes it. He, he doesn't even yet bring into the picture for them that he's God. No, he just starts where they ought to have started, which is I'm a man who's told you the truth. Which I heard from God. You want to kill me. Therefore, you are not of God. You are not of Abraham. This Abraham did not do. By the way, they want they say they're the spirit, they're the, they're the physical descendants of Abraham. What 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 that's the nation of Israel. Well, God had sent his word through men throughout the Old Testament. Um, they're called the prophets. How did the people of Israel, Abraham's physical descendants, respond to the words that God had given the prophets to say? Reject. Anger, hatred, kill. Hmm. That's that again proves they're not Abraham's descendants either by the spiritual level. Again, verse 40. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. What is he saying here? He's saying your father is not Abraham. You have another father. Okay. okay. They said to him, we're not born of fornication. We'll see what that means in a moment. We have one father, God. Notice they're inconsistent. Notice they're sort of backpedaling. 
First of all, they want to stand on the ground that we are children of Abraham. He's our father. Then he really proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's not true. So now they're retreating and say, well, God's our father. Now what's he going to do next? He's going to prove that God isn't their father either. So again, he first points out that their actions are diametrically opposed to Abraham. Whatever Abraham did, they did the opposite. Okay. Well, what did Abraham do? Well, first of all, he believed in the Lord. But not only that, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. If you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. And what were those deeds? He believed in the Lord, but he also obeyed the Lord. You know, isn't one of the other commandments that children should be obedient to their parents? If, if so, so Abraham was a child of God, that meant that he would be obedient to God. And was he? Let's see. In context now, um, Abraham has died. In chapter 26, the Lord is speaking to Abraham's son according to the promise, and that's Isaac. He is now talking to Isaac about Isaac's father, human father. I will multiply your descendants, the Lord tells Isaac, as the stars of heaven. And I will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. By the way, you've just heard the promises that God gave Abraham. Again, I will multiply your descendants. Why? Because you're a son of According to your father, you're a son of the promise. You're a believer in me. Because of that, the promises I've made your father now are promises I make to you. I will multiply your descendants, Isaac, as the stars of heaven. And I will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because Abraham, what's the next word? Verse five, because Abraham obeyed me. You see, true children who are, in this sense, true children, acting the way children should act, obey their father. It's that simple. Abraham obeyed me, and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. What is this saying? It's saying Abraham demonstrated that he believed in the Lord by the manner in which he obeyed the Lord, kept the orders of the Lord, his commandments, his statutes, and his laws. Okay, that makes sense. Well, how about the audience that Jesus is speaking to? How about that? Well, they were hostile to Jesus. They hated him. They wanted him dead. That hostility toward Jesus. Now, we, we have to say, who is Jesus, right? Isn't that the big question of the entire Gospel of John? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Right. If you believe in him, you will have life in his name. That's who he is. Jesus never had any doubt who he was. He knew who he was. Therefore, if they're hostile towards him, the son of God, and oh, by the way, their Messiah, that reveals that they're in open rebellion against God. Does that make sense? By the way they treated God's son demonstrated their real relationship with God. If they want to kill his son, they're in open rebellion against God, despite what they think. Why? Jesus spoke the truth. 
he received that truth from his father, the one true God. Does that sound familiar? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? You shall not have false gods before me. I am the one true God. That's all the way back in the book of Genesis and in the book of Exodus and in pretty much every book of the Old Testament, except maybe Ruth, I mean um, Esther, that message was loud and clear. There's one God. I am the one God. Who is that? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who's Jesus speaking the truth of? The Father, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, what about it? Well, how did they treat the one who came with the words from the one true God? They desired to commit the most heinous murder imaginable for a Jew. Okay, for a Jew. Never mind the whole world. I mean, because Jesus is the savior of the world. Think about it. So they wanted to kill the savior of the world. But not only that, in particular, they wanted to murder their very own Messiah. The king, by the way, the one through which the Lord would fulfill all his promises to Abraham. They wanted to kill the one who was going to who was there to fulfill the Lord's promises to Abraham, the one they claimed to be their their, their father. And, and, and this is the one who was God's son who sent the Messiah to them. They wanted to kill him, the murder of their Messiah. They could not possibly be Abraham's children, could they? There's absolutely no way that Abraham. So if they're if if they're not Abraham's children, if Abraham's not their father. Therefore, somebody else besides Abraham must be their real father. Is there any argument about that? Right. Can you argue against that? Since he's demonstrated that Abraham's not their father, they must have somebody else as their father. And oh, by the way, we've already seen the principle like father, like child. So this one who is their real father must want to do the things that they want to do because that's where they got it from. And what do they want to do? They want to murder. Huh. So what father wants to murder? Not only that, what father wants to murder God's son in the flesh? Look at verse 41. John 8, 41. Again, he is just moving them to a corner. But one by one, he's stripping away what they think of themselves. You think you're Abraham's children? You're not. All right. Now he's going to move the next step. What he's saying is not only that, but you're the opposite of Abraham. Therefore, whoever your father is, is the opposite of Abraham. All right. John 8, 41. You are doing the deeds of your father. Simple principle. But we've already seen it. What, what, how do you know the child of the father? The real, true child of the father, they do the deeds of the father. They said to him, what an interesting response, by the way. We'll, we'll peel this apart. We were not born of fornication. Hmm. You are doing the deeds of your father, he said to them. We're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Interesting. They've now abandoned Abraham. But now they're clinging to the fact that they have one father, God. And it's very interesting that they use the expression born of fornication. By the way, this is one thing you may have heard that they were actually attacking Jesus because he was born supposedly out of wedlock. By the way, he was not born out of wedlock. Jo Joseph 
and Mary were married when Jesus was born. Okay, so even humanly speaking, he was not. And, and they they didn't have any they didn't know about the the fact that Jesus was born supernaturally, that God was his you know father in that sense. They didn't know that, so they they were not talking about the fact that Joseph wasn't the biological father. There was no way they could have known that. The only reason we know it is because of the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Matthew, right? Particularly the Gospel of Luke. So what do they really say? What is he? What are they saying? Well, that expression born of fornication implies that their spiritual father was illegitimate. See, they already understand. Wait a minute. He's moved away from the physical descendants. He's not talking about that anymore. He's taken that off the table. Therefore, now we have to think of it in terms of our spiritual father. What did they think? Well, they thought their spiritual father was was God, the father. Right. But, they, but saying they were born of fornication would mean that their, their spiritual father was illegitimate. They're saying that's not true. They're saying, by the way, that is true. Because we know that their true spiritual father is the devil, who, who is, a, who is a, trying to counterfeit the things of God. He's illegitimate. Okay, but they don't understand that quite yet. But here's the thing. Let's kind of go back again. And think we're not going to have we're going to go to a passage in a moment. But in the Old Testament, when it talks about fornication, it it identifies it with idolatry. We're not going to go to Hosea in the interest of time. All right. Sorry, I know you're going there, but you can check it out later. You can write that one down. But but this is, by the way, this is true in a a lot of episodes of the Lord's life. When when they abandon the Lord and they turn to false gods. Okay, idolatry is often in the Old Testament spoken of as harlotry and fornication. So when the Jews said to Jesus, we are not born of fornication, what they were saying, we are not pagans, right? Pagans and their pagan religion. You see, that's that's an illegitimate. That's 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 a, those who do that are are born of those who have fornicated. OK, they're saying that's not us. I got to turn to Isaiah now. Chapter 63, verse 6. Isaiah 63, verse 6. This is, going to, this is going to show you the fact that they're backpedaling. They already, he's already demonstrated that Abraham's not their real father. They're backpedaling. Now what are they relying on? God. Well, that had happened before. Isaiah Isaiah prophesied the same thing. Look at Isaiah 63, 16. You are our father, though Abraham does not know us. Even in the Old Testament, Isaiah was saying, look, you're not children of Abraham by the way you're behaving. And so they have to turn to God, the father. You are our father, though Abraham doesn't know us and Israel does not recognize us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. Now, this is true, but only those who are redeemed. You see that? Our redeemer from of old. That's the father. Okay. So, again, it is not all those who are descended from Abraham now who are the children of the father. Yahweh, the Lord. 
They didn't connect with that. Why? Because the word of God wasn't in them. In other words, they didn't care what Isaiah said. Here's the question. All right. We just saw that Isaiah is saying there will be those who um, will have the father as their Lord Jews. And because he'll be their redeemer of old. Now, here's the question. Was God really the father of those Jews who wanted to kill Jesus? No. See, no, they can't rely on Isaiah 63 either. That's not them. Again, very simply, they don't believe. Right. It's the believers, the remnant of Israel. Have you ever heard that expression before? You would have heard it, by the way, if you've been in Bible study on Thursdays, because we've been talking about the remnant of Israel in Isaiah, Isaiah. So but they're not that. Okay. Look, let's go on. John chapter eight, verse 42. John eight forty-two. In other words. Spiritual fatherhood in the Old Testament was based on believing in the Lord. Therefore, and by the way, that whether that's Abraham or the Lord, okay, it's only those who believe in the Lord who are children of Abraham and children of God the Father. Okay, so they missed that. They can't, they're still trying to claim physical descent. You know, descent. John 8, 42. Jesus said to them, if, if God were your father, Notice they said, we have one father, God. He's now going to do the same thing with their belief, their thinking that their father is God, as he's already done when they first claimed that Abraham was their father. What did he do? He proved that they that he that Abraham wasn't their father because of the deeds and the desires that they had, which was the opposite of Abraham. Now, let's look at chapter eight, verse 42 concerning their claim that God was their father. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. What is he saying? He's saying that, remember, the principle is, as the father, so the son. If God were your father, then you then you would be a person who loved me. I mean, I mean, John's going to say the same thing. He's going to say those who who say they love the father if they don't love the son, then they don't love the father. It's the same principle. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. Indisputably true. And he's been telling them that again since chapter five. The father sent me. The proceeded forth. That just points to the fact that he was God from eternity past. And he was sent. And he's now come from God with the message from God. I have not even come on my own initiative. He sent me. This all comes back to God, the Father, whom you claim to be your father. However, you don't love me. I was sent by your God. Therefore, you don't love your God. You're not the child of your God. Because, again, the principle spiritual sonship is attested by likeness to the father. That's a principle. That's true of Christians, by the way. Now, you may not see that. All right. But remember, God sees the end from the beginning. He sees what we're going to be. See, 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 we went from being an unbeliever child of the devil in an instant. We believed in Christ. And then for there forevermore, we were children of God. We were in Christ forever. We were born again. We were declared righteous. We're in the new man. We may not act that way all the time. 
In fact, I would submit that none of us acts that way all the time. None of us takes every word of God at, at God's, you know, it takes God at his word in every aspect of his word and lives accordingly. I have yet to met, meet a Christian who does that all the time. Nevertheless, God sees the end. He sees the fact that he is at work. And what is he doing? He is he is forging. The, he's making us into the image and likeness of the humanity of Jesus Christ. He who is at work in you will complete that job. Okay. So ultimately, our spiritual sonship, we are the sons and daughters of the living God, will be attested by our likeness to the Father. And, and that's shown by our, our future likeness. We are being made into the image and likeness of Christ. So Jesus is saying, I'm from God. I am of God. I've been sent by God to you. You should love me. Therefore, if these Jews, these unbelievers in Jerusalem, if they don't love Jesus, it means that God is not their father. So he's now destroyed that notion that God was their father. He's destroyed the, the possibility that Abraham was their father by their deeds. And now he's destroyed the possibility that God is their father by their lack of love. There is nothing of God's character in them. Nothing. You think about that. Not at all. Not, this, is, again, is not only true of the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. It's true of every unbeliever. There's nothing of God's character in them. There's a lot of indictment here. Can you see it? And Jesus is not pulling any punches. He is making, he's making it crystal clear, his indictment of them. Verse eight, John chapter 8, verse 43. There's a real deep thing here that we have to make sure we understand. I already mentioned it once. So there's a difference between your ears and your heart. John 8, 43. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? How come there are these words that are going into your ears and you're just pushing them away? It is because you cannot really hear my word. Your ears, yes, but your heart, no. If they really were the children of God, they would recognize that Jesus, when he spoke, was speaking the message of the Father. He was speaking the words that came from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if they were of God, then they would understand and they would recognize in the same way that John in chapter 10 is going to say that I am the shepherd, my sheep recognize my voice. If they were God's children, they would have recognized that in the voice of Christ is the voice of God. And they clearly didn't do that. Again, if they really were God's children, they would recognize their father's message. Aha. Now, now, how would they have done that? Well, we'll see in a minute. But but this is the same message that, you know, Jesus points to the Old Testament again and again. He actually tells them, he says, listen, Abraham wrote about me. So if you reject me, you're rejecting. I mean, Moses, I'm sorry, Moses wrote about me. In other words, every book of the Old Testament is about Jesus. And if they didn't hear that, then they're not going to hear it in Jesus either. Okay. They didn't even know God the Father. They couldn't make out anything about what Jesus was saying. That means that's because they cannot. I mean, this is this goes beyond will not. Cannot. All right. In other words, if I say um, I want you to jump one foot in the air. 
now. I'll, I'll eliminate myself because after my surgery, I can't do that anymore. But you might be able to do it, right? You have the ability to do it. But you say, no, I won't do it, right? But if I say I want you to jump 10,000 feet and you say I won't do it, there's a good reason because you cannot do it. They cannot hear. It's a spiritual impossibility for them to hear the words of God in the words of Christ. Why not? Why can't they hear? The answer, by the way, will be given in verse um, 47. They're not of God. They're not of God because they're not born of God. Those who are born of God hear, hear God in the voice of Jesus. They were not born of the spirit. By the way, these are things that Jesus has already talked about. In chapter 1, he talked about the fact that you have to be born of God, not of the flesh. In chapter 3, he says you have to be born of the Spirit. They were not. And most importantly, they did not believe in God's Son. Therefore, they are incapable. It's a spiritual impossibility for them to hear the voice of God in the, in, in the, in the speech of Jesus. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. You're your father. The devil. Now he finally reveals it. He's saying, nope, not Abraham. Nope, not God the father. Guess whose father you really are? The devil's. Can you imagine the reaction that day of the scribes, the Pharisees, the high priests being told that your father is the devil? That's a shocking statement. Yet it's true. Think about that. That principle applies today. The, the, many of those who are the, who are the mightiest and pre, pre, present themselves as the holiest as of Christians are really children of the devil. <clears throat> I'm not going to point any individuals out. That's not my job, usually, unless they're teaching false teaching that's seeping into our ministry. But that's true. You can't look at the outside, right? Outside, they look great. Inside, they're ravenous wolves. There's nothing of God's word in them. They don't believe in God's son. You are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. Wow. Not only do they do them, they want to do them. It's their desire to do the desires of their father. Well, what? who is this father, the devil? He was a murderer from the beginning. Don't they want to murder an innocent man? You bet. He was a murderer from the beginning, too. And he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. They would say every lie they could about Jesus Christ, that he was a Samaritan, that he was possessed by a demon. They said that about him, God's son. Every lie in the books they came and threw at him. Why? Because they're liars. Why are they liars? Because their father's a liar. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, look at this. He speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice he zeroes in on the very nature of of the devil. He, he, he can't do anything except lie. He can't do anything except murder because that's his very nature. In the same way that an eagle, and it's in his nature to fly, and a whale, it's in his nature to, to swim in the water, in Satan, his, it's in his nature to murder and lie. So here, finally, Jesus comes straight out with it. Your father is the devil, not Abraham, not God, the devil. And you want to do the things that please your real father. Who's your real father? He was a murderer from the beginning. Now, when it says from the beginning, he's talking about from the beginning of the human race. 
from the very beginning, our first two parents, Adam and Eve, what did he do? I'll tell you what he did. He lied. You certainly shall not die. And by so doing, when they believed the lie, he's a liar, then all of the human race was was now put into ultimately death, right? Physical death and spiritual death, ultimately, without Christ. Murderer from the beginning. He brought death. Think of it. He, Satan, the devil, brought death on the entire human race. That's who they're dealing with. Not only are they dealing with, they want to do the same desires. Shocking. He deceived a, he deceived Eve, and, a, and Adam went along with it, and therefore death came to the entire human race. Who is their father? He's a liar. Do you realize that the first recorded lie in the Bible was spoken by Satan? The very first one. You certainly shall not die. He's a liar. But, you know, there's something else that's here. Because notice that he said it is his nature. Satan can speak only lies. <laughs> Satan has never spoken a word of truth. Even when he quoted the Bible, he didn't speak the truth. When he was going back and forth with Jesus right after the 40 days. He even used, think about it, he even uses the words of the Bible to lie. Hmm. Like father, like son. What does that mean? His children will even speak the words, use the words of God to lie to you. That's why we have to have discernment. That's why we have to be immersed in God's word. So we will recognize the lie when it when it comes. Satan can only speak lies because that is his nature. God and his son can speak only the truth. Why? Because that's their nature, their very nature. God is truth. Jesus is the truth. No, he doesn't just speak the truth. He is. His very nature is truth. Children of God, now let's talk about us. Look at John chapter 8, 45. John 8, 45. But what's the next word in chapter 8, 45? But nobody's looking at their Bibles anymore. Because, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Think about that. What is it saying? It's saying the reason you don't believe me isn't because you're confused. It's because I speak the truth. What does that say about them? They're like their father. Right. They're not of the truth. They're of the lie. When they hear the truth, because it's the truth, they don't believe it. Think about that. Again, apply this to your interactions. Gospel preaching to the unbeliever because it's the truth. They don't believe it. Shocking, isn't it? In other words, you would expect him to say, even though I speak the truth, you don't believe it. No, this doesn't say even though. It says because. Children of God are drawn to the truth from God. We're drawn to it. We believe in Jesus. Children of the devil are repulsed by the truth of God. As soon as you look, you can talk to the unbeliever about you know, history and evolution and everything they want to talk about. Why the good, bad things happen to good people. They'll talk about that all day long. But when you speak the word of the cross, then they're repulsed. Okay. They don't believe. They're repulsed by the truth from God. John 8, 46 and 47. We'll wrap this up. Remarkable where he goes next. He says, which one of you convicts me of sin? 
Now, on two levels, that's profound. On the one hand, he is pure. He is never he is without sin. On the other hand, who can convict someone of sin? Not of not of law breaking, but sin itself. You know who? God. Only God. The only place where someone can declare that that that, that you have committed a sin ultimately is God. Okay, because sin is an offense against God, right? David, against thee and thee only I have sinned. Okay. But there's no sin in him either. He's sinless. He therefore he's, it's impossible for him to be found guilty of any sin. Now think about it. If is lying a sin? Absolutely. Right? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. If he cannot be found guilty of any sin at all, he cannot be found guilty of lying. He cannot lie. Everything he says is the truth. Which one of you convicts me? If I speak the truth, and I do, why do you not believe me? Why not? Because he's of God, children of God. Again, here's the words of God. For this reason, for this reason you don't hear them, because you are not of God. But I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we wrap up this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21. This is who Jesus is. First Peter 2, 21 to 22. Now, Peter's talking to believers. He's not trying to say, listen, you're going to go through suffering. But remember, Christ suffered for you first. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. What were his steps? Verse 22. He committed no sin. He's sinless. He's perfect. He's pure. And then he goes on. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. No, he cannot lie. So why don't the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, believe him? Why don't they believe him? He can speak nothing but the truth. By the way, when he asks that question, they don't give him an answer. They can't answer that. They've finally been completely cornered. They have no answer at all. They answered before when he, when he said, you know, he said, oh, I'm a descendant of Abraham. Oh, God is our father. They can't answer this at all. Why? Because he is standing in front of them. Perfect. God in the flesh. Incapable of sinning. So, And they don't answer that one. Jesus gives his own answer. They cannot hear the words of God. Anyone who is of God hears the words of God. Therefore, they are not of God. Why? Because God is not their father. The devil is. All right, let's close. Now, I kept you a little bit over, wanted to complete the thought there. Let's now uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you make things crystal clear, though they may be very unsettling. We also know, Father, that you, with all things are possible with you, in the nature of fallen man, it's impossible to hear the truth. But you can do the impossible. And in fact, you do the impossible every time a, a person who was born in sin and has been a child of the devil hears the gospel and believes it. That's a miracle. Ultimately, it's a miracle. It's your power at work. So we thank you, Father. You've overcome even this through the death and resurrection of your son. We, we know, Father, that, that, that it, that's where the gospel of John is leading to the death of your son. That changes everything. We all ask, Father, too, for your guidance and direction in our daily lives so that we can take the things that we've learned today and heard today, if we've learned them before, and make make them make them true in our lives by 
walking in the works that you've ordained for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Just a couple of reminders as we leave today. They're the same reminders I give every week. One of them, though, I've only been starting again, is I do encourage you to keep reading the Gospel of John again. Read through it. Also, Bible study is Thursday, March 3rd, right here at 6.30. We're on Skype as well as in face-to-face. Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth. The word of the cross is that all men are born sinners. And yet God gave his son so that no one would perish. He gave his son to die for the sins of the world. And he did. And he was buried. That showed that he physically died. And then he was new father raised him from the dead. Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day so that whoever simply believes in Christ, who is Christ, God's son, the savior, the Jewish Messiah, whoever simply believes in Jesus Christ will never perish, but has eternal life. That's the gospel we preach through the miracle of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the drawing like the, the father draws those to the word. People can believe that and become your children, Father. We ask all of this, help us start to preach that clearly, regardless of the response we get. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All righty, with that, this service is over. You're